Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DeNovellis, and I told you, February is moving month in college basketball, and we saw some positive movement from a number of our teams over the weekend. UConn and Seton Hall taking care of business against Georgetown and DePaul. Now look, I know it wasn't easy. Most fans would have liked to have had a double-digit win, but a win is a win even if you're not at your best. You take them because it sure beats the alternative. UConn was four minutes away from what would have been and could have been a devastating loss to Georgetown, but they closed out the Hoyas like most teams do, outscoring them 8-1 to one in the final four minutes of that game to get a road win. And then Seton Hall was napping. They were still sleepwalking through the first eight minutes of their game against DePaul on Sunday and found themselves trailing 15-2. to two. But then the Pirates woke up. They took care of business. It was closer than it should have been or could have been, but they got the win. Meanwhile, Princeton and Ryder both went 2-0 last week. Ryder finds itself in first place in the MAC, and Princeton also remains in first place in the Ivy League. Would you believe, could you believe that we could have four, maybe five teams from New Jersey? Are you kidding me? In the NCAA tournament? We'll get to all of those teams a little bit later, but we're going to begin with Rutgers because they picked up a significant home home win over a gritty Michigan State team, and that put them in sole possession of second place in the Big Ten ahead of a slew of teams, a gaggle of teams, six in all, who stand at seven and five in Rutgers' rearview mirror as we speak. So here to talk about all of this is Chris Eisman, who covers Rutgers basketball and football and anything else that matter for NorthJersey.com, otherwise known as the record and the Asbury Park Press. Chris, good to talk to you, my friend. How's everything going? I'm doing well, Brian. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's always good to see you and and, and talk to you, and this is turning into quite a season for Rutgers. Uh, let's begin with the win over Michigan State. What was that atmosphere like being there at the Garden with all those Rutgers fans there? It was great. I mean, I, you know, I think as soon as I hadn't even gotten in the building yet, I was still walking um, from the parking garage on 33rd Street. And, you know, you start hearing the Rutgers chants. And um, and then obviously when the fans were in the building, I mean, the amount of red that was in the stands and uh, the completely outnumbered, you know, by a significant margin, Michigan State fans. And um, so it was I thought it was a great environment. I thought it was a packed crowd. Um it was, you know, they were into it and, and they really turned the garden into, uh, you know, Jersey Mike's arena, uh, Northeast, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah, we could say that. So, you know, I, I thought it was, it was an impressive showing and, um, you know, obviously there was some, and, and, you know, understandably so controversy about it being a home game for Rutgers, which, you know, makes, you know, I, I would agree with that, that debate that, uh, probably shouldn't have been considered that, especially when Michigan state had their cheerleaders and pep band and everything else there. But another story for another day i guess but uh, yeah, it was a great it was a great environment and and you know it was a, it was a good game too yeah and and i don't know how many times they have to keep putting rutgers in this game i mean i get it the proximity but you're taking a home game away 
from Jersey Mike's arena. And, and I don't care where you put Rutgers and how many Rutgers fans you put in Madison Square Garden. It's still not the same, even though Rutgers fans did a great job by showing up. Yeah, no doubt. And, and it's, I mean, the rack, you know, I still call it the rack. The rack sure. was, is one of the basketball team's biggest weapons, right? And I mean, that's, you know, so that it's become one of the toughest places to play in college basketball. So, you know, it's almost like, why would you want to lose that advantage? You know, but I, I think, you know, like my, my colleague, Jerry Carino, um, has said it and, and has written it uh, this weekend, you know, that it would be great for Rutgers to play a non-conference game at the Garden. And I agree with him. I think that that's, that's it's a great idea. And I think for Rutgers, recruiting-wise, branding, um, to really cement themselves as the team of, of the city, of you know, as, as New York's team, I think it would, it would go a long way. But I agree. In terms of Big Ten games, I wouldn't want to ever lose that advantage if I'm Steve Peichel. And I think if you listen to Steve Peichel closely and you read between the lines, I think he does. He, you know, he's not he's not hiding the fact that he likes the the, the weapon that the Jersey Mike's arena is for them. Right. Tom Izzo, Jawan Howard, on and on. I mean, you, yep. none of them want to lose that for him. McCaffrey, none of them want to lose it. So let's talk about how Rutgers won this game. Throw the first half out. Let's get right into the second half when. Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell took over this game with seven minutes to go together. They scored 14 of Rutgers points where they uh, went from, you know, an eight point second half deficit to taking control of this game with about seven minutes to go. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was, as you said, you can, you can kind of, you know, the first half was ugly. And also I think a lot of people wanted to throw that away. It wasn't the prettiest basketball, but it was, it was the type of, of basketball that Rutgers, you know, so often thrives in kind of, they have to grind it out. Um, you know, it's gritty. It's, it's, it's a defensive battle. Uh, neither team was shooting well, but you're right. I mean, I think late in the game, Paul took over. He started driving toward the basket making some tough moves inside. Um, at one point at five straight points, he scored eight of the team's final 15 points. Um, so he took over and he has the ability to do that. And then I thought Caleb McConnell from the start, you know, I mean, it, it's like, you know, you sound like a broken record when you talk about how well he plays defensively, but he had, you know, four more steals. Um, and he's just, you know, he's, he's that type of guy, obviously, as we know, and, and Paul the same way, um, offensively and defensively, and, and they just have the ability to put the team on, on their backs. And, and Paul Mulcahy he certainly did that late. They needed him to, um, in that environment against, against a team like Michigan state, where obviously, um, you know, they needed to get some scoring and, and, uh, it was, it was a vintage Rutgers performance for this team, at least. And we know that they, they struggle to shoot from the outside. If Cam Spencer is not hitting the threes, even Tom Izzo said it afterward, this is an elite team, but they need to get more consistency with the three-point shooting. However, they do have guys who can hit it. Andre Hyatt has hit threes. Mawat Mag, Caleb McConnell. I went back and looked. Uh, Rutgers trailing by one. Joey Hauser misses the front end of a one-and-one. And McConnell comes down. Hits the three to give Rutgers a 42-40 lead. They would not give up the rest of the game. And that was just his third made three in the last 10 games. So, okay, he's not hitting many, but boy, was that a big time to hit that three. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, listen, you know, that's been Rutgers' Achilles heel is their, is their three-point shooting. They're not one of the better three-point shooting teams in the Big Ten. I think they shoot like 32% of the team. Um, Cam Spencer has been big for them, but obviously he had his, you know, little rough patch there a few games ago and seemed to break out again, break out of it against uh, Penn State a bit. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely the the challenge. You know, they're, they're not as great of an offensive team. We know that, um, that, you know, how that surfaces in the, in the 
in, in March, you know, and how that hurts them, whether or not it's going to hurt them, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when, when Cam's not shooting well, they need somebody else to step up. They do have other ways to score. Again, they have to drive to the inside. And as I said, what Paul Mulcahy was doing with some of those moves, that was the difference. Um, but yeah, we're, they're not a great offensive team. They're not a great three-point shooting team. Um, and that's that's something that, again, if there's anything that is going to you know kind of affect this team, I think that that could be it. But I played for, in high school, I wasn't a college basketball player, right? But I played for defensive coaches, and that's why I love Peichel. I enjoy watching Seton Hall play with Shaheen Holloway. And you heard Tom Izzo say it. I've loved his teams. He said it after the game, defense travels. So if you look at this Rutgers team and they play defense, that gives them a chance to win each and every game. So uh, how impressive was it that you hear after the game Izzo giving that much praise for Steve Peichel? You know, it was, it, it, it's impressive to hear, but it's almost not surprising. Um, I, I think, you know, whether it was at the garden or whether you're, you know, at Jersey Mike's arena and you hear coaches come into the press conference after those games. I mean, it just seems like one after another, you know, at some point it comes up about how, you know, Steve Peichel has built up this program and how impressed they are with the job he's done. And um, I mean, Fran McCaffrey was, was very, you know, he had a lot of praise for them. And I remember Micah Shrewsbury last year uh, went after the game said that, you know, Rutgers is kind of like the program that he would like to build his program into. Um, and then it just kind of continues. And I think that, you know, when you look at the job that Steve Peichel has done since he's been in, you know, since he's, he's come on board and the way he's turned this program around, I think he's immediately garnered the respect of, of the rest of the Big Ten. I think coaches really – he's just a likable guy, too. He's, he's one of the most genuine people you could meet. Um, that's you know that's not an act. That's who he is. You know Who you see on, on the sidelines, who you see in the press conferences, that's who he is. He's a good guy. Um, and, and I think people like him and respect him. And, and I think that you know even when they're competing, you know when they're not competing against them in, in games, I think that they root for him because I think they're so impressed. And it's good for the Big Ten. It's good for the league overall you know, to have Rutgers playing that well and, and just to kind of have provide that that depth to the league. So, um, yeah, I mean, Izzo was was effusive in his praise. Um, and and I think, you know, when it, when it comes from a coach like that, of, of his caliber, his standing, you know, you certainly um, you do, you know, I think Steve Peichel deserves to sit a little bit taller. You know, it's it's, it's a big deal. I, I could listen to Tom Izzo all day long. Uh, yeah. to, I'm a little bit older than you, Chris, but, you know, there was a commercial back in the 80s with a brokerage firm called EF Hutton. And it was one of those things where they said, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Tom Izzo is like E.F. Hutton. So yep. when he praises Mulcahy and McConnell and says, I hope I never see you guys again. <laughs> I mean, that's the ultimate compliment from the godfather of Big Ten coaches. Yeah, and I, I think that they just respect the way Rutgers plays. Look, I mean, it's not a flashy team, right? And it's a team that's going to come in and it's going to fight and it's going to grind and you know, you better bring it when you're going up against a team like Rutgers because they're going to, you know, it's not going to be an easy team. And they're not, you know, they're guys who are under-recruited. We, I mean, we know, you know, I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't know, but it's just who they were when they got to Rutgers. Under-recruited guys that Michael identified as as the ones that he wanted to kind of help build this program up. The fact that they've done that, the way that they've done it, they're unselfish. They're very unselfish team, obviously. They move the ball well. Um, and the way they play defense, I mean, it's not easy in this day and age to get a team to get kids to buy in defensively, right? Because it's not always flashy. That's not always what what gets the highlights. But Steve Peichel has been able to do that. He's found players who want to buy in who and who legitimately enjoy playing defense. I mean, that's not, you know, they, yeah. they like that. Um, they like that style. And I think that other coaches have, have taken notice. And as I said, they really respect it.
they are so well connected defensively and embrace their role. And whether it's, you know, Dean Reber or Omar Palmquist, whoever it is coming off that bench, they know their role and Derek Simpson and they do it so well. How about Simpson in that game? Didn't do a whole lot, but hit a couple of free throws down the stretch. And he also yep. hit a big jumper to, to pull Rutgers within one in that second half. I've been impressed with him since the start. I thought that, you know, it, he in big moments, in big games, you know, like you said, it's not necessarily something that's going to jump off the box score, but in big moments, I mean, he's, he's had some big shots and um, for a freshman to have that, and especially in, in Jersey Mike's arena when the crowd is going crazy and it's loud and, you know, it's easy to kind of get rattled, even though it's, it's your home crowd. He doesn't get rattled. He doesn't get phased. And he's not afraid of much. And that was something that stood out to me, you know, from early on in the season. Oh, yeah. He he loves the moment. He played in many big games against uh, many big-time ranked teams in high school. So he's not afraid of that moment, no question. So as we record this, Chris, do you have any update on Mawat Mag? He was scheduled to get an MRI on Monday. We do not, as of right now. Um, so everyone's kind of still waiting to see um, – you know, what his, his status is going to be. I guess Steve Peichel said on NBC uh, with Bruce Beck last night that he's going to be out of it. That's something that I saw. So, um, you know, we don't know the extent of it, the severity. You know, we know that it's a knee injury. We don't know, again, what it, what it exactly is and how long he's going to be out for. But, you know, it was it was really unfortunate because obviously you look at the way that he's played this year and averaging like eight points and five rebounds a game. Um, I can't remember the exact, but it's right, right around that number. You know, and the way he's played defensively, he's always a really good defensive player. He's continued to get better. Um, and, and you know, he's, he really has helped them a lot. And and so losing him for any significant amount of time, you know, it would it would be tough for Rutgers to overcome. Obviously, you'd have to look at, you know, Andre Hyatt as the guy who would step up and, and get the bulk of those minutes, I would imagine. But, you know, we'll see whether, you know, that has to happen and, and for how long. And this is where their depth comes in. Next man up. But it would be uh, a significant loss for a leader a guy who's been growing into his role and certainly a defensive presence. So Chris, let's look at this week ahead for Rutgers because it is their biggest, biggest week really of, of the year. And uh, they just cracked the top 25 poll again, Rutgers checking in at number 24 and they're playing at Indiana who's ranked number 18 and at Illinois, uh, an opportunity not only for two road wins, uh, an opportunity for two quad one wins Indiana checking in at number 21 in the net, Illinois at 26. Let's take these one at a time and begin with Indiana, a team that is red hot, that is 12 and one at home, but a team that Rutgers has simply owned beating six straight times. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing how well Rutgers has played against them for a while now. Um, Indiana is playing some of its best basketball of the season. Uh, that is a very, very difficult place to go. As you said, they're 12 and one in Assembly Hall. Um, they're a good team, obviously. Trace Jackson Davis, I believe he's he's like 16 points away from uh, 2,000 for his career. Um, so so um, so he'll he'll try and get that, uh, you know, on, on Tuesday night. It, I think that they're certainly have that game circled on their calendar. I mean, I, I think that they want to get some revenge on Rutgers. They want to kind of end the, the narrative that you know Rutgers owns them, right? They want to change that. So. It's going to be a tough game. I think even though just coming off that, you know, Indiana's win over Purdue, I think the Hoosiers are, you know, there's, there's sometimes a team can kind of have a layoff after a game like that. But I think the fact that they're going up against Rutgers is going to change that and kind of make sure that they're up for this game. So definitely a tough place to play. And then Illinois has kind of been up and down, um, but that's another tough place to go on the road. So 
you know, listen, this is a difficult week. I mean, it's two trips to the Midwest in, in, in a span of, you know, whatever it is, less than a week. Um, so it's, it's definitely a tough one for Rutgers. Big opportunities, but definitely a tough week. Indiana just beat Purdue. Obviously, it's their rival. They stormed the court. Purdue was number one in the nation. We'll see if they're able to channel that energy and come around and come off that emotional high. We've seen teams come off that emotional high, and the next team that comes in, they're flat. Uh, they don't play as well. They're not as amped up. You do bring up a good point. Rutgers is a team that they've had circled. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis said in a press conference, it might have been after the game, I saw it somewhere on social media where he said, hey, we decided since that Rutgers game that we needed to get tougher since they punked us. What are the keys for this game for you for Rutgers? Well, I mean, I think obviously you, know, you try and slow down Trace Jackson Davis as much as you can. Um, you know, you, you figure out a way to limit him. Um, and, and just, you know, I don't, I don't, I think that Rutgers just needs to play. It, it sounds cliche, and, but I kind of think that this is the same thing for the Illinois game and going, just play your style of basketball, play, bring your, your defense. You know, that's what's, as you said, that's what's going to win Rutgers games. That's how that's what they thrive on. That's how they're successful. Um, so definitely kind of bring that defense, hit your free throws. They didn't do well against um, Michigan State, but they managed to overcome it. They hit the big ones late, but they got to take advantage of those opportunities. Cliff has to stay out of foul trouble. Um, and then obviously if you can get Cam Spencer going, you know, and, and he can knock down some threes and, and kind of be the shooter that they need. I think that's what they really um, can can thrive on in this game and, and beat Indiana. But, you know, definitely, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, Huchifino, I mean, they've got a lot of guys. They've got a, a cast of, of players who have gotten better over the course of the year. Um, and, and they, they're going to have to try and find a way to limit them as much as they can. Rutgers last time was plus 14 on the glass at home. Uh, of course, last time Rutgers was in Assembly Hall, it was Ron Harper Jr. hitting that big three late in the game that silenced that crowd. I, I expect it to be a big-time atmosphere, and Rutgers certainly has a challenge ahead of them. Win or lose, though, they're going to have to turn around and play an Illinois team. Let's talk about them for a little bit, Chris, because that's a team that also is doing well at home. They're 11-2 and two at home. Uh, they're coming in winning 7 of 9, and suddenly you look at the standings, and both teams at 7-5 and five right behind Rutgers at 8-4. and four. So, obviously, you know, whatever happens in these games, the standings are going to look different a week from now. Well, that's such a, it's such an interesting thing about the Big Ten right now. It's Purdue and Rutgers at the top. I mean, nobody, you know, even the loss to Indiana doesn't change the fact that Purdue is the juggernaut of the Big Ten. Um, and then you have Rutgers in, in second place, and then you kind of have this logjam with a bunch of teams at 7-5 and five in the conference and tied for third place. So there's a lot of motivation for both Indiana and Illinois to kind of change that and put themselves in position and kind of, you know, get into a firmer position at the top of that conference. Um, so certainly they're going to be motivated to go up against Rutgers. And, and you know, there's no doubt. Illinois has been up and down, but they're well coached. Uh, Brad Underwood's, uh, you know, he's he's going to have them ready. Um, and it's it's a tough place to play, as I said. So, yeah, I mean, for the standings-wise and when it comes, you know, Big Ten tournament time, it, this is a, it's going to be a very, very interesting week because, as I said, there's a lot of teams vying for that, for that third-place spot and are chasing Rutgers, too. Yeah, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Northwestern, Iowa, Michigan, all at seven and five. I mean, you can go from second to, to eighth place like that, and Rutgers is playing for a lot, right? They're playing eventually for uh, a protected, maybe a top four seed in Albany in the NCAA tournament. Should they, you know, split or win both this week on the road? They're playing for a top four seed and a double buy in the in the Big Ten standings. So what do you think a week like this could do for Rutgers even a split, Chris. 
Well, even if, I mean, obviously, you know, best case scenario is two and zero, but that's a lot to ask against these two teams where they're going to be playing. A split certainly would just keep. I, you know, Rutgers, honestly, even if they went zero and two, it's not going to kill them. I mean, these are, these are good teams. They're they're it's they built themselves up a you know a, a good spot in the standings. It's not going to kill them. It's it's you know an zero and two is not going to be any kind of a disaster. It's, it, they're both two quad one teams. It's you know Rutgers fans shouldn't be worried about that. But a split, absolutely. I mean, that would be great for them. Uh, if you can steal one, not even steal one, but, you know, win one of these games, um, that would be keep them right where they need to be. And you, know, you move on to the next week. So there's no doubt a split would be would be huge. I mean, there's still opportunities up ahead. Like you said, eight and six. Let's say they lose both. You still have six more games this regular season uh, to right the ship. And, you know, another big one later against Michigan. The some best home thing about the Big Ten is always opportunities, right? It's always opportunities. I certainly like the position they put themselves in, Chris, and uh, great opportunity this week at Indiana and at Illinois. Chris Eisman, uh, we look forward to your articles. You and Jerry Carino do such a fabulous job covering Rutgers for NorthJersey.com and the Asbury Park Press. Thanks, and good seeing you, my friend. We'll catch you at a Rutgers game very soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Brian. It's fun talking. All right. Great job by Chris, as always. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Eisman. And, of course, you can read his articles, as I said, on NorthJersey.com and APP.com. All right, time to go around the tri-state. We begin in Connecticut. UConn checking in at number 21 this week in the top 25 poll. Huskies had a 2-0 week. They needed this one. Yes, they did it against DePaul and Georgetown, but they got the wins. Now comes the big test against Marquette. UConn had to squeak past Georgetown. I mean, were you sweating this one out? You look up under four minutes to go, and it's 61-60 Georgetown. The Hoyas have given the Huskies fits all season long. I'll tell you what, you don't want to face the Hoyas in a 6-11 first-round matchup at Madison Square Garden in the Big East tournament on Wednesday Avoid that 6-11 game, UConn. But for now, the Huskies did avoid the upset. They took care of business. They outscored Georgetown 8-1 over the final four minutes. Adama Sinogo did what he does. He averaged 20 points and eight and a half rebounds last week. Alex Caraban came alive in the second half. He couldn't hit a shot in the first half. But the freshman came up with three three-pointers, including two in the final three minutes. Caravan finished with 11 points for his efforts. He was named Big East Freshman of the Week for, I don't know, I'm losing count, the third, fourth time this season. Caravan came alive. Sonogo was big. Hawkins was big. But the story for the Huskies over the past two weeks has been the play of Tristan Newton. We've had the big three for the Huskies all year long. Sonogo, Hawkins, Caravan, who would establish themselves as the fourth scorer, the fourth options for UConn? It's been Tristan Newton. He's had five straight games in double figures, had back-to-back 20-point games as well. He has been the one, and as Tristan Newton has gone, it seems so goes UConn. Don't get me wrong. They need Sonogo and Hawkins, but Newton has finally become the player, and he's emerging as the player that Danny Hurley 
thought he was getting when he came in as a transfer. So now we'll see. Can the Huskies beat somebody big? Can they win against the Big East team in the upper echelon of the conference? They haven't done it all year. Number 10, Marquette. Tuesday night, XL Center. The Hartford Civic Center, because that's what I call it. That's what I grew up knowing it as. The Hartford Civic Center is going to be raucous. Marquette won the first meeting. UConn really needs this one. They're at home. They need to take down Marquette, take down first place Marquette, pick up another all-important quad one victory against a ranked opponent in your building. Show me what you're made out of, UConn, and win this game. Meanwhile, Seton Hall has been flexing its muscles against the lower teams in the Big East. They have beaten every team below them in the standings. Now, they barely beat DePaul, okay? This game shouldn't have been that close. Seton Hall sleptwalked through the first eight minutes or so of this game. They were down 15-2. to two. They were 0 for 11. 0 for 11. I don't remember a game that Seton Hall missed their first 11 field goals. I'm sure it's happened at some point, but I don't remember watching it. That's how bad Seton Hall was. But as bad as they were in the first nine or so minutes of this game, they were dazzling for the next mm, 25 minutes. Because then they built a 17-point lead. Then it looked like they were going to cruise to a double-digit win. And then they sleptwalked through the last four minutes of the game and had to hang on for a five-point win. But a win is a win. Kaderi Richmond continues to be this team's best player uh, in Big E's play. He leads the team in points, rebounds, and assists in Big E's play. And just to show you the value of Richmond, there was a play later in the second half when Seton Hall was on offense. A long rebound went toward the baseline, and it looked like one of the DePaul big men was there to get the rebound. Richmond ripped it out of his hands, turned around along the baseline, and spotted Tyree Samuel all by himself for an easy dunk. Richmond got the offensive rebound, and the assist all on one play. It was brilliant. Vintage Kaderi Richmond. You show me a better rebounding point guard in the country. He is the best rebounding point guard in the Big East. Kaderi Richmond is a beast of an offensive rebounding point guard. All right. And the way he's been playing lately, as he goes, this Seton Hall team goes as well. Now, Seton Hall also got contributions out of Trey Jackson, who had 10 points off the bench. And oh, by the way, they didn't come from the perimeter. Shaheen Holloway has been on Trey Jackson all year long to try to convert him into a power forward. It's not what Trey Jackson was born to be, but he has accepted his role. It has made him an all-around better player. And Seton Hall does not win this game without their bench coming in to give them a spark when they were trailing 15-2, to two, Jameer Harris, Tay Davis, but they certainly don't win this game 
without the play of Trey Jackson inside. They are 7-0 this year against Butler, DePaul, St. John's, and Georgetown with one game remaining against Georgetown at home. That is a must-win for Seton Hall in a couple of weeks if they stand to go to the NCAA tournament. This week will be their biggest test to date in conference play and a win that would put them and maybe catapult them from the bubble to in the NCAA tournament. Number 23, Creighton, coming into town. It's not UConn, who Seton Hall beat a couple of weeks ago, but this team, we know Creighton is good. They were the Big East preseason favorites. They are playing like it now. Forget about what they did in November and early December. This team is playing like one of the top three or four teams in the Big East Conference. They have the best starting five in all of college basketball, a starting five that averages in double figures, and no other team in the country can claim that. And oh, by the way, they beat the snot out of Seton Hall in Creighton like they do to a lot of teams. They hit 11 three-pointers. Wait, I'm sorry. This just in. Creighton has hit another three-pointer in that game. So, so give them 12, all right? That's the way Creighton shot at home. You know Seton Hall is the best at defending the three in the Big East. So it's one of the best three-point shooting teams against one of the best at defending the three. That is certainly one of the keys. Ryan Kalkbrenner is one of the leading candidates for defensive player of the year. This is a tall order for Seton Hall. Do they match up against Creighton? Well, Creighton isn't the same team on the road as they are at home. They struggle on the road. If Seton Hall can beat Creighton, this would be a huge feather in their cap come March Selection Sunday. Big week for the Pirates, home to Creighton and at Villanova. Man, do you wish that they had played Villanova earlier in the season when they didn't have Justin Moore? Because now this is a fully healthy Villanova team. Seton Hall would love to get a split. Find a way to win one of those two games this week. It begins with Creighton on Wednesday at 6.30. Meanwhile, let's check out other teams in New Jersey because there are not one, not two, not three, not four, but five teams in New Jersey that are in position to make the NCAA tournament. That has never happened in New Jersey history. The last time New Jersey had four teams in the NCAA tournament was 1991. Rutgers is in prime position. They are as good as a lock right now that you will find. Seton Hall is in position. Princeton is in position. Ryder is in position. And FDU is in position. Look at those five teams. We talked about Seton Hall. We talked about Rutgers. Princeton is 2-0 in the Ivy League. They're in first place. They took care of business against Cornell and Columbia over the weekend. And what a big win over Cornell on Friday night. They played a lousy first half. They were down by 10. They outscored Cornell 54-37 to in the second half. And they remain in first place in the Ivy League 
one game ahead of Yale. That rematch is set for February 18th. So that game could determine the Ivy League regular season champion, and Yale already beat Princeton by 22 earlier this year. Circle that one. Tosan Awoma is playing like a Ivy League preseason player of the year. He averaged 18 points last week. He has put this team on his back. They are playing well, and they are coming off a big week. So that's the third New Jersey team. The fourth New Jersey team is Ryder. Look at the week the Bronx had. They beat St. Peter's by 21. Then they won at Manhattan, a team which had just knocked off first place Siena. A huge road win for Kevin Baggett's team. Dwight Murray Jr. had a big week with 14 and a half points, four and a half rebounds, and five assists. Ryder's in first place. They're at 10 and three in the MAC. They have a half-game lead over Iona, one full game over Siena, and they will play both teams at home in the coming weeks. They have one loss against Siena. They have a win at Iona. So the Bronx are in good position to possibly finish in first place in the MAC. And believe me, you want that number one seed in the MAC tournament because it's likely. Second and third are going to be Siena and Iona should you finish first. So those three teams, Ryder, Iona, and Siena, are fighting it out for that all-important top spot in the MAC regular season. The fifth New Jersey team is Fairleigh Dickinson. Now, they had a tough loss to Wagner last week. Donald Copeland and company went to the Rothman Center and upset FDU but the Knights are still right there in the thick of things. Stonehill, Division II Stonehill, playing its first season in the Northeast Conference, is currently in first place in the NEC. They're one game ahead of Fairleigh Dickinson. The Knights are right there. So that could be five New Jersey teams making the NCAA tournament. It's a long shot for it all to happen, but it's close. All five of those teams have put themselves in the conversation. How great would that be? Huh? How do you like them apples? Things are heating up in the tri-state. It is going to be an awesome week of college basketball once again. My thanks to all of you for listening. Our listenership is up. We're now over 100 followers on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Please continue to spread the message. Our numbers are up. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends, give us a review, and like it. I do appreciate you listening and following us all year long on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DeNovellis. Enjoy the games, everyone, and we'll see you next time right here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long.